Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. I'm Michelle Martin. We're expecting this to be a big week for cryptocurrency markets. The Ethereum merge scheduled to happen in about four hours. Market participants, are they hedging like never before? Relative to Bitcoin, uh, Ether has apparently underperformed in the last couple of days. Bitcoin saw recovery of 8% over the past week. Will it continue its march towards market dominance? And also, are we seeing more people buying into Bitcoin? ahead of the Ethereum merge. Market watchers have their eyes out on this merge uh, set to approach in about four hours. So has it been calm before the storm? How has Ethereum been trading in the run-up? Crypto ETF traders unwinding their short exposure in Bitcoin ETFs. What upsides are they eyeing? Meanwhile, Michael Saylor from MicroStrategy has unveiled a new $500 million Bitcoin bet. Will this work for shareholders? And why swell the Bitcoin hoard now? It's all linked, isn't it? VJIR is VP for Asia Pacific and Global Expansion at Luno, which is a global cryptocurrency app. Good morning, VJ. Morning, Michelle. How are you? Good. Good to have you with us here this morning. All right. So when you take a look at Bitcoin, are you seeing a sustained recovery or a possible bear trap ahead? Right. You know, if usually at times like this, it's nice to kind of zoom out. And if you zoom out and you look at what Bitcoin is doing, essentially it's still in a range, right? You know, this is between 18 to 25K. So when as we hit 25K, that turned into resistance and we kind of went back down. Then we went back up to about 22.5K. Uh, where we got the inflation print uh, two days back uh, that kind of caused a drop across all markets, right? So we're still in this range. Uh, and the way I see it is, unless we break out on either side, it's going to keep ranging for a while. And this is very typical of, you know, Bitcoin when it kind of starts to consolidate in a range before giving a clear indication around uh, either bullishness or bearishness. How is Bitcoin doing in terms of its dominance in the crypto market, you know, in terms of Bitcoin cap? That's an interesting one to look at, right? Because the last couple of months, we did see a lot of altcoins, especially driven by Ethereum and, and, and the merge story, mm-hmm. uh, rallying much more than Bitcoin. Uh, but we did hit a kind of a bottom on Bitcoin dominance. And the expectation, I think, is now for Bitcoin to kind of actually take away more market share uh, from the larger market, just because it's at support, it's not. It's probably a. This is this is why it's interesting is because we've got the merge. Ethereum is all across the news, but Bitcoin is at uh, a crucial kind of support in terms of dominance in the market. So the play could be actually holding Bitcoin over Ethereum potentially. We've talked about this before, but are you seeing any more hints of Bitcoin and how it's performing vis-a-vis the broader financial market? Is are you seeing some signs of decoupling? I wouldn't think so, uh, Michelle. I think, you know, still the markets broadly are nervous and lots of uncertainty and, you know, risk assets have sold off post the inflation print two days back, equities, uh, you know, as well as crypto. So, yeah, I, I think it's still quite correlated. Again, I wouldn't read too much into short term kind of movements on the correlation band, but yet to be seen how Bitcoin potentially decouples in the future. Give us a sense of your read of investor sentiment in Bitcoin. Right. I think generally, and not just Bitcoin, right? Uh, and I say uh, this for all markets. Some some participants are being clever and think that 
you know, these are levels at which to accumulate Bitcoin. Um, now, it could go lower, right? Of course, it could go lower or, uh, you know, it could go higher from here. I mean, that's obviously fair game. But these are not levels usually, I think we're already dropped like 75% from an all-time high at Bitcoin. So uh, investors that have a much more long-term view on the asset are probably accumulating, I would think. Traders are probably expect. Uh, traders obviously are, you know, a lot more short-term in their thinking. They're probably expecting 14k potentially, which is a typical 85% drawdown from all-time high. Uh, is what Bitcoin does in previous bear markets, right? So it's, you know, depending on your time horizon, I think people are taking various sides of of the bet. So I, that's what I would say. Okay, so if you look at the fear and the greed index, still still in the extreme fear range, then. Yes, exactly right. That's broadly retail, right? I mean, retail is definitely a bit nervous, you know, given the interest rate increases and the inflation and all sorts of issues that we know uh, across the world. So yeah, risk assets definitely are not in favor at this point. All right, let's look at the big event happening today. I understand some crypto firms are actually pausing uh, activity because of the Ethereum merge, uh, pausing activity during the expected merge in about four hours or so. Um, how has Ether been trading ahead of the Ethereum merge? It's actually uh, lost a bit of ground in the past few days. I just think it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's a lot of volatility playing out. What's happening is essentially you've got traders obviously positioning, you know, probably more bullish to, uh, toward the merge, but you've, you've got the inflation print that had all these risk assets sell off and then Ethereum sold off more more than Bitcoin actually in the past few days. But it's actually picked up in the past 24 hours in anticipation of the merge, which is happening today. I would just say that it's 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 going to be quite volatile, if you ask me. Or it could, obviously, it could also be a non-event. Uh, but unless Ethereum breaks 0.085 on the Ethereum-Bitcoin pair, you know, Ethereum is still bearish, I would think, if you ask me. Uh, lots of traders actually are positioning bullish by buying calls to the tune of 2,500 dollars on Ethereum. Uh, that's probably 60-70% of the market actually, if you ask me. If you have any sort of negative event uh, around the merge, that will you know, that will cause a massive sell-off, unwinding of a lot of those calls and, and positions. But yeah, so I, I would say two, in the run-up to the merge, past two, three months actually played out quite well for Ethereum. But past couple of days after the inflation print, uh, Ethereum started falling off quite badly. So Ethereum expected to complete its transition from proof-of-work to proof-of-stake today, complete the transition. Can you help us understand Ethereum Classic and how it's performed and, and what it is with regards to, you know, people think, okay, I know what Ethereum is and I think Ethereum has been moving sort of a downward drift and I know that the merge has something to do with its staking model and it, you know, this basically means that it's becoming more energy efficient, this cryptocurrency. Um, but help us understand what, what the merge has done, what is happening to Ethereum. Absolutely. So, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there as you went through, went through that, right? I mean, Ethereum, when it started out, this is 2015 around, you know, it was a proof of work network. And that is similar to Bitcoin, right? And in proof of work, basically, you have miners that use electricity to mine blocks and, and add it to the blockchain. And for that, they get a reward, right? Uh, now, obviously, that's been, come under a lot of kind of criticism around the energy usage, especially Bitcoin. Uh, and Ethereum went on this path of transitioning to proof of stake. What that means is essentially you don't need to run massive servers uh, using a lot of electricity. All you need to do is stake some of the Ethereum asset that you have onto 
you know, onto, onto nodes that help validate transactions of the network. So essentially, you're just using capital uh, without actually having to buy uh, mining equipment and so on. So that's basically the essence of it. And Ethereum completes that move to proof of stake today, hopefully, is what the anticipation is. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, you mentioned Ethereum Classic. Ethereum Classic was the original form of Ethereum when it started out. There was an event in 2016 around where, you know, the, there was essentially a, a hack and, you know, where, where, you know, certain coins were obviously, you know, stolen. And Ethereum, the you know, the foundation made this decision to fork, fork the chain. Uh, mm-hmm. Fork the chain means split the chain and... This new Ethereum that came out is now the biggest kind of the second big largest network, right? The mm-hmm. old Ethereum chain is still it's called Ethereum Classic now. So a lot of people still believe that that is the original Ethereum chain, and hence you know it still has value. People still trade it, but of of course it's kind of dwarfed by the Ethereum that we know now, which is you know original, which is ETH as you call it. So yeah. Okay, so the merge I understand will immediately reduce Ethereum's energy demand, allow for future upgrades, so make it faster, make it more scalable. What will it do for the supply and demand for Ether? Yeah, that's a good question, right? And I think that's one of the biggest kind of aspects of Ethereum going forward is it potentially starts to become a deflationary currency in that uh, you know, right now, uh, the supply of Ethereum, you know, there's the massive supply of Ethereum pre-merge, pre-post, uh, you know, proof of stake. But post-proof of stake, that supply completely drastically comes down. Essentially, you, know, you have more demand uh, and more people staking Ethereum than actually issuance of Ethereum. Because there's, now you don't have miners who actually need to be paid, uh, you know, uh, rewards, right? So I think this is a huge change. It basically allows Ethereum to become deflationary more stronger as a monetary asset. And there's going to be a, a huge pressure on upward price pressure on the price, right? Because there's more demand than supply, essentially. So this is the expectation, you know, obviously to be seen how it evolves. But yeah, lots of excitement around Ethereum as an asset and institutions being more interested in Ethereum for a lot of these reasons, which is the asset class being deflationary and then the proof of stake uh, as well. Okay, do you think there is a possibility that some of that computing power might be redirected to, you know, other coins, mining Bitcoin, for example? Yeah, um, sure. Um, you Actually, in fact, you see, if you look at the Bitcoin hash rate that's been increasing, that could indicate a lot of miners moving to Bitcoin. The risk with the merge as well is that some of the miners potentially can and are planning to fork this network. So as Ethereum moves to proof of stake, there could be a Ethereum proof of work network that continues to chug along, right? Now we don't know whether that will survive in the long run, but there'll be value uh, on that network. But there are a couple of miners who plan to do that in the 24 hours within the completion of the merge. So that's also to be seen how and when that evolves. So we could have another situation like an Ethereum Classic with the Ethereum proof of work network. So what are your price expectations for Ethereum Classic? The range. Ethereum Classic, I mean, I, I think, it's, yeah, it's been, you know, a lot of the sentiment is because of the Ethereum merge itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ethereum Classic has gone up probably 10 or 10, 15 odd percent, similar to a lot of the other networks that have something to do with the merge, like Lido Finance, which is the largest staking provider for Ethereum. Mm-hmm. And they have a token called LDO. Uh, that's also gone up quite a bit in the past few months. Similarly, Optimism, which is a layer two Scaling solution on Ethereum have a token called OP that's also actually gone up quite a bit in the past two three months. I would say Ethereum Classic, all of these uh, you know similar coins 
It really depends on how the merge pans out, and they are quite dependent on Ethereum and Bitcoin ultimately. Are you seeing people buying in because they think the merge is here, this is Wednesday, I have to buy Ether before it goes through this makeover? Yeah, I think we are seeing activity on that regard, right? I think people are buying in anticipation that the merge will be successful. And obviously, it's a positive event for Ethereum and crypto overall. And what that means is, uh, you know, they're expecting the price to be significantly higher in the future. Now, we don't know whether that will be immediately, whether we see a massive price pump, or we see that in a few months, or maybe over the next year. But I think people are uh, beginning to, you know, position bullish on Ethereum if this goes through, uh, which most are expecting to. All right. Let's look at institutional interest. What's happening with crypto ETFs, uh, Bitcoin ETFs in particular? There's a, I guess, the, you know, sentiment is a lot more positive than before. Uh, in general, I think uh, it, it indicates that, you know, large institutions are looking at the Bitcoin price and uh, possibly saying that this could be a great base forming uh, in Ethereum. We could see, you know, potentially a 20 to 30 percent drop even even now in Bitcoin. But that's no reason to kind of be bearish. The, the time to be bearish on Bitcoin was probably last year at some point, right? So generally, the, you know, there's positive flows into a lot of these ETFs, indicating that broadly indicating that digital assets and the crypto asset sector is uh, being very favorably viewed by institutions and, and, and in general being bullish about holding some form of exposure to Bitcoin through ETFs. Well, speaking of institutional interests, Michael Saylor from MicroStrategy, I understand, uh, has unveiled his plans to continue to hoard Bitcoin, 500 million is his latest bet uh, worth of Bitcoin. Why swell the Bitcoin hoard now for, for MicroStrategy, do you think? You know, he, Michael and MicroStrategy are, are hardcore, I would say, almost hodlers of Bitcoin, right? As you've seen, you know, even in the past year, as Bitcoin dropped or Bitcoin rose, they've been steadfast in how they view the asset class. So if he's bought at 40K uh, and he's held, uh, it makes even more sense to buy at 20k, right? So I think they're playing a really long game, very much long-term focus, and he probably thinks this is probably one of the best times to buy, and I think hence the the kind of massive outlay for for buying Bitcoin. Do you think this sort of reveals his bet that uh, the Bitcoin bottom has been reached? I think that's a hard one to kind of guess or say, mainly because they've generally been buying. Uh, through the market, right? Mm. It dips and, and when it's risen as well. So he, whenever they get an opportunity to raise some money, they allocate Bitcoin as the as, as an asset class. So I think he, of course, it's a drop 75% from, from all-time highs. So there's no reason not to buy. So uh, just because they're such long-term kind of holders of the asset. All right. We discussed this briefly, you know, the decoupling of cryptocurrency from financial markets. But what, what was interesting was, you know, just after the CPI report was out in the U.S., we saw the slumping of the price of Bitcoin from 22000 to about 21000 And then we saw liquidations across crypto derivatives, $110 million in a one-hour period. So interesting to see how the watching of the economic report report on U.S. inflation prompted a flurry of activity from traders. What do you make of, you know, crypto exchanges like FTX freezing under the strain of CPI volatility? Yeah, I mean, I, this is, you know, this is still a problem, right? Like, I guess you can see that 
even now, if some exchanges, you know, struggle, when volumes spike during events like this, $110 million in liquidation, that's, that's a decent chunk going through these exchanges. I think it, it kind of also shows that the whole market is still evolving in the exchange market, I would say. Mm-hmm. The infrastructure is still evolving. It needs to get it, it needs to get even better to be able to handle large-scale institutions and large institutions, right? So I would just say, yeah, it, it's one to kind of keep working on. And we at Luna as well, like we run exchanges in some of our key markets, such as Malaysia and so on. This is a big part of how we try to make sure that users trust us uh, and can use us in days like, you know, on days like like the CPI print, right? So I, I would say it's evolving, but uh, lots of progress, of course. It's not like, it's much better than it was a couple of years back. And you're seeing a lot of traditional finance folks and engineers come to crypto now, bringing a lot of that skill set around scaling exchanges and working for, for places like NYSE and, and NASDAQ and so on. So I think uh, it's getting better. And hopefully we don't see exchanges go down and, and hurt users. Well, very grateful to have some of your time on the day of the Ethereum merge. Vijay, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Michelle. Appreciate it. Vijay IR, VP Asia Pacific and Global Expansion for Luno, a global cryptocurrency app. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.